Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of the Confusionity Podcast. In episode one, I and my buddy Tommy, both of us preacher's kids, shared our respective stories of leaving Christianity. For episode two, I interviewed my friend Damien, and although we start with a brief chat about his upbringing in a Catholic environment, we take the conversation elsewhere, delving deeply into several topics, including herd mentality, free will, social media, politics, consciousness, and ultimately the meaning of life, or lack thereof. We cover a lot of ground in episode two, so I'll keep this intro short. Let's just get right into it. So, Damien, do you want to tell me a little bit about your background in terms of thoughts and experiences with religion? Jamaica, went to Catholic school, uh, family could afford that, born into a family that I guess they were religious, Catholic religious, so yeah, went to Catholic school up until middle of fifth grade, and middle of fifth grade is when we moved to the United States and never went back to Catholic school. Um, yeah, Sundays... It was church, but then with, uh, with my dad's side that I mainly lived with, we had stopped going to church on Sundays, but whenever I visited my mom, we were always going to church on Sundays. I guess that's my religious experience. Like uh, the Catholic school that I went to, um, each grade in the morning had to read a Bible verse at the morning assembly, and at the end of the day it's the same thing as well yeah I had a few questions about the Bible because I thought it was inconsistent and very punishing heavy that um, that stood out to you as a, as a kid everything to do with sort of hell and punishment like that particularly stood out to you yeah because I didn't understand the point of hell and I was confused with heaven as well. So I didn't understand the point of either one of them. Um, did you raise those questions as a kid to the teachers or the, the, did you have like, I guess like nuns teaching or? Uh, I don't know if there were nuns or not. Um, some had the whole nun outfit sometimes. Um, that, would, that would probably make them a nun, I would think. Maybe. If they're wearing the outfit. Maybe, maybe not. Like you, just because a guy has a police uniform outfit doesn't make him a policeman. Well, it's illegal to impersonate yeah. an officer. But it's not illegal to impersonate a nun, is it? <laughs> you think there's that many people out there impersonating nuns? Um, not to that degree, but um, if there's money involved, a person would, people would impersonate any Because <laughs> you have to pay to go to a Catholic school, so... Um, you could just have the teachers dressed as nuns, but they're not really nuns. But the school is still affiliated with receiving money for a church. Okay. It could just be. It could just be there. Okay. Well. So whoever. Back to my question. So for whoever these people are who are teaching you, whether they're legit nuns or not, um, did you raise these kind of questions? Like you're confused about the point of heaven or the point of hell. Did you raise those questions back then? Yeah, um, I raised other questions too, but yeah, you're usually just sent to the police, the principal of the office, and 
It's usually lashings and then go home. Jeez. For asking questions. Yeah. That must have really sucked for you because I know you and you're the kind of guy who is very inquisitive and asks a lot of questions. You're trying yep. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that sucks. Yeah, so I guess that's where I developed the, uh, the go sit and think and look at flowers. <laughs> Wait, what? Go sit and think. And uh, look at flowers. Okay, that's what they wanted you to do? No, that's what I ended up doing. Because um, the house that we lived in had a garden in the back and a garden in the front. Like a small garden. Okay. So it was a pretty big yard and everything too. So. so was it like a phase or did you feel like you were getting punished a lot? Like, because I kind of wonder about sort of the negative reinforcement, right? Like... You're inquisitive, you have questions, you ask them, then you get punished. And if that happens over a period of time, I would think you would, over time, they would kind of beat it out of you, right? Like you you realize like, well, I don't want to get punished, so I'm going to stop asking questions and things like that. Is that how it played out? No. I'm kind of like, you know the kids that like, they would get electrocuted if they put like a fork in a socket? Yeah, okay. So, like, some kids will stop putting the fork in the socket. Other kids won't. And then you have the other kids that will tell the kid, tell that kid that enjoy putting the fork in the socket, put it in again, I want to figure out how the socket works. <laughs> I'm right. the one that's telling the kid to put it in there again because I want to know how the socket works. Okay. <laughs> All right. But you don't want to be the one yourself sticking it in. Well, like, if I don't have, like, another person there to put the fork in the socket, then I'll just do it myself. Right. But ideally, it's somebody else suffering the uh, the cost of it, and you're just learning from it. Yeah, if there's, like, a whole bunch of pain involved. Right. So, like, yeah, like, with me, uh, with the punishments, all, all that happened was um, I just learned, okay, they're not going to answer my questions, and just try to see if I could figure out the question. Oh, figure so, things figure things out for yourself, basically. Yeah. Do your own independent research. And how old were you at this time? Uh, I don't know. That was like second grade. Hmm. Second or third grade. We're still pretty yeah. young. Like what, like eight or nine or something like that? Ten? Um, well, I came when I was ten, so I was in fifth grade when I was ten. Okay, so this is even younger than that then. Yeah, like okay. six or seven. Wow, okay. So you've always kind of been this way. You've always been kind of this deep thinker and like inquisitive and curious. Yeah, I've always been, in, I've always been curious of things. Um, and I just kind of want to know how things work. And here's a good example. It's pretty stupid as well. I tried, uh, I jumped off the roof holding an umbrella to see if it would work. Oh, my God. I would float down. <laughs> I did not float down. Oh, my God. Did you did you break your leg or something? No, but um, I was in a lot of pain afterwards. Jesus, dude. So how old were you then? Like, also six, seven? Um, probably about seven or eight. Wow. I hope it wasn't too high. Um, like a two-story house or something? Yeah, it's probably from, like, the... Um, yeah, it wouldn't be more than two. I would have broken something. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, but I didn't really think it would hurt. 
Well, you learned the hard way. <laughs> like, Jeez. I thought, like, okay, at least, uh, if it doesn't work, at least the umbrella would do something to help. <laughs> I think we're going to need a bigger umbrella. <laughs> yeah, and, well, that was my conclusion afterwards. Right, right. I'd need a bigger and more sturdy um, umbrella. Right. But I'm guessing you probably never tried that experiment again. No, because I... <laughs> Didn't have access to a bigger, yeah. sturdier umbrella. <laughs> right. If only they sold bigger umbrellas, maybe you would have. But... <laughs> nice. All right. So you're going to this Catholic school. You have questions. They punish you for it. So you kind of learn to keep your mouth shut, at least in those contexts. And at the same time, you start kind of independently doing your own research to find answers to your questions. Do you remember back to those days in terms of what those questions were and what kind of answers you arrived at on your own? I'm, um, I'm trying to think how I'm trying to think how you would even come to your own conclusions because there's no internet, there's no like all these resources that we have today. So, how does one, as a six or seven year old in Jamaica, do independent research about heaven and hell and like how does that even hap- happen? It was a gradual thing because um, it was basically a number of days and whenever my thought would drift to it, it would be um, thought processes. And that's what I still do. I still do that now is where like there would be a certain question and I would have thought processes on that question go through my head. And if I formulate other questions, those questions I would go and ask people those questions. And so when you say people, do you mean adults at the time yeah. or peers? Adults, peers, the same teachers and everything. Because, like, you could, you could um, ask for information on a question by getting pieces together. So it's not a direct um, question on the exact thing that you want. Sure. And that's... Um, did you find that that was safer? Like you wouldn't get in trouble for that if you're just asking indirect questions? Yeah. So you, if you ask indirect questions to multiple people, each individual will get a, a different indirect question. You could feasibly get to the right answer. Okay. Or get to an answer. Like and, you, you would have preferred be going direct, but that wasn't going to work because you were getting yeah. punished for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, I kept asking indirect questions where it should lead to the same answer, but I never got the same answer. And that's when I said, well, like, if everyone's giving different answers to what's supposed to be written and the law, then... You mean like what's in the Bible? Yeah. Okay. Then what's in there is, is nothing. Right. Well, clearly there's a discrepancy, and as a kid you're trying to figure out, like, it's not as black and white and straightforward as they were making it out to be. Exactly. Right. So when, when people are presenting things as black and white and it's not, then um, what any intelligent person should do is, well, like, question it. Right, yeah. See, I think you're kind of, from what I'm hearing already, like you're kind of more in the minority, I would say. Because I think most kids, and 
in some degree, most people, most adults in general, like we, we don't want to make waves. We don't want to rock the boat because it makes our lives harder. And let's face it, life is hard for everybody. So I think the tendency for most people is to minimize the difficulty level in life. And that often means kind of swallowing your, you know, pride or your questions or your, and just going with the flow, you know, getting on board with the program. And yeah. Yeah. Because the, the thing that, I don't know, like I always kind of think about children and when I was a child and, and, and religion and these influences because it's such a formative time in a person's life, that first seven years of life, it's like the experiences and the, the lessons and the things that are taught to a child, they stay with a person for the rest of their life. So, you know, Christians will look at that in the church, like Christian parents, and they have their kid dedicated and all these things. It's like, it's like they're brainwashing their child into a certain belief system. And this is what happens. They wouldn't call it brainwashing, of course, but they would call it, you know, raising the child up in the in the fear of the Lord or, you know, just, um, you know, raising a, a, a righteous, you know, next generation of Christian or whatever. Um, so however you phrase it, but the fact of the matter is they're instilling a certain set of beliefs and values in a child. And children are very susceptible to influences and information, you know. There's only a few people in a in a child's life basically the parents and whoever at school, you know, that's basically it. And especially before the days of internet and TV and media and all this stuff, like the only influences you have are your parents and your peers a little bit and, you know, your teachers. So it's such an important time and children are like sponges, right? Like just absorbing all of this information that they're fed from their from the elders or whatever. Um, but at the same time, it's a tragedy because kids are so naturally curious, you know? So, and you're, you're a prime example of that with what you were just describing because you were hungry for information. You were hungry for truth. You were hungry for, you know, exploration, knowledge, and that was denied to you, you know, even though you're in the prime time of, you know, because you're a sponge, you know, as a little kid, you're like absorbing, you absorb information. We all do it more as kids. It's much harder as adults. And it was unfortunate because it was like a wasted opportunity. Instead of them filling you with all this information, they punished you for it. Yeah, like, um, so... Like your early years, yeah, they're formative, formative. But um, it's kind of like learning how to solve a math problem. Like you, they, you need to know the ground rules first before you can solve those problems, and that's kind of um, what those first seven years are. But the problem that I see is that um, you can't limit yourself to those first seven years, you have to try to unlearn things and then learn things again and keep doing that process. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just saying and, that's really much harder for people, though. I guess I'm describing well, yeah, the, the ideal is. situation is 
while a child is uh, this absorbent sponge from age zero to seven, hopefully they have the best possible experiences and they're exposed to the widest range of knowledge and learn skills and languages, all of that in the seven years. So obviously that's an ideal that falls short for most everybody, but um, it just sucks when these systems and largely religious systems actually go the opposite direction, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, if you look at all the systems, um, like, um, just kind of look at what they were made for and well, yeah, conformity, easy, easy to break down and see, okay, like, um, this, what they're telling you, like the outcome of this, it's, it's not, it's more like there's some other reason why this is built this way. Right. There's some, and, there's some agenda. Yeah. That's what I've come to understand. And it's, um, yeah, that just made me like go through other thought processes again and again. And I guess like that's could be contributed to why I, enjoy learning a whole bunch of stuff that I try to learn because um, I've just been that way since I was younger and now that I'm older I have more access to things so um, sometimes when I'm not lazy or anything like that I'll pick up oh, I'm interested in this so I'll try to learn more about it mm-hmm. okay so that explains sort of a lot about who you are and how you think and how you came to be that way, I guess, that you've always kind of been that way. Um, but, like, the <laughs> the religion thing almost seemed kind of an impediment getting in your way of sort of independent thought and learning, right? Um, I would say it was, like, in the way and kind of helped at the same time since everybody... Like, Everybody around me was heavily religious at that time. Okay. And, like, um, when when certain kids found out about my middle name, they didn't want to play with me, and some um, parents didn't allow them to play with me. That's how religious those neighborhood were. Wow. Because you're, like, a son of Satan or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, like, the the questions I had about, like, having in hell it was like well what what are the thresholds of like going to hell what is the threshold because i can understand with certain situations yeah um that person would go to hell but what's the threshold where you're kind of like uh i don't know like that's kind of on the line so what happens to the people that are on the line between heaven and hell wait 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 wait, wait. so did you not get the message did you not get the memo on this um, the, the whole thing that Christianity preaches is it doesn't matter how good you are. Like, there, there isn't this, like, you've got to try harder to be a better person and get across that line. I don't know if you've heard a different version of it as a child, but that's certainly not the Christianity I was raised with. The Christianity I was raised with was, you are not good enough. Don't even try, because you're not going to make it on your own goodness. You're you're a sinner. You're worthy of burning hellfire for eternity. The only way you can be saved is to believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins. That's the only thing that can save you. 
So it's nothing of your own merit. It's nothing of how good of a person you are because you're not good enough. Only Christ is good enough. And that's why you'll be saved and go to heaven is because of what Christ did. It has nothing to do with how good you are or how hard you try. Is that not the message you received? No, not totally. Like, um, I heard that version as well. It depends on the church that you went to and the, the different parts of the island. Like, since my mom moved around um, a few times, certain churches did pre- preach that way. Other churches didn't. The Catholic school I went to didn't preach that way. It was more about being good, um, uh, wait for the calling to go to heaven, and uh, you're judged on your sins and uh, the people around you. So, like, I feel that that wow. one was more towards uh, converting um, workers and slaves into being peaceful. That was that religion that was given to the island. And then there's uh, the other area that was... Um, more white uh, uh, they were more well off than we were and I would I was considering us well off for Jamaican standards as well but they their church was preaching differently as well and it was more towards that and then was that also Catholicism or was that Protestant um, I think that's more um, I would think that's more Protestant yeah because I was raised within Protestantism, so yeah. what you were just describing was is kind of foreign to me. Yeah, um, I was like more the, Catholic. Okay. And, like, I still thought that, okay, then if that's the case, then why create people like that? <laughs> what do you mean? Because, like, um, one of the things, one of the other things, too, was, like, we were created in... in his image. I was like, okay, then, like, um, if we're created, then the whole heaven and hell thing, and then you're not good enough, then this person that <laughs> that's creating something has some major flaws. If we were created in his image and we're so flawed, that therefore that must mean that he's flawed? Either that, because that was, it was one of the two things. It was that, either that deity uh, is uh, flawed, or he basically fucked up with his experiment and just left it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting in the Bible, you do see when, like, the flood, for example, right? Like, God is literally, like, washes his hands of this, and he's just like, you know, kind of like, I done fucked up. You all are so fucked up terrible, I'm going to just destroy all of you. Yeah. Like, And, like, if you... If you think about the possible, like, I guess I learned about that later, the possible area, like, where that flood had taken place. Yeah, when they see a flood like that, they would think that the world is ending because they don't really go out too far. So when, like, uh, if you're on an area where you think is all land, there's no shoreline, and then all of a sudden the entire area is, filled with water you think it's a flood you think it's like the entire world drowning but it's not it's just your area just got shitted on right well that's it's funny though because it's it's kind of sort of an arrogance 
to think that whatever is happening to us is basically what's happening to the entire planet. But yeah. but back then they didn't they didn't have science they didn't have maps they didn't have understanding of the the round planet and everything else happening elsewhere in the world so to them it felt like if we die that's the end of humanity or whatever yeah um, but again it's just another point of their level of ignorance yeah you know? yeah absolutely but but these um, but these are the this is the Bible that people are reading now in 2019 and heeding every word of it like I'm like you're exactly it, it's just ridiculous that you're trying to base your modern day decisions and thinking on a book written thousands of years ago or compiled randomly and translated by all these different people and and, and certain and certain books not included right it's just a mess yeah and, and my, I, it reminded me of the other question I had like I asked well um, how do we how do you know that this was trans, translated correctly right because I at that time I realized that I couldn't spell I couldn't spell because uh, I was learning British English and regular English and I didn't know which spelling was correct and I never really got uh, any of the spellings correct anyway <laughs> you were wrong and, with both British and American yeah. English <laughs> <laughs> so my question was well like when I spell when I try to write a sentence it doesn't come across too well if it's something is misspelled. So coming from another um, language, and I didn't know anything about Old English at the time. So you're coming from another language to Old English to Modern English, and there's going to be a lot of things lost in translation. Yeah, of course. I was just having that conversation yesterday with someone about the Bible and... We were actually reviewing some of Genesis, and I was explaining to her that, because she was kind of breaking down each word, and I was like, yeah, that's fine, that's great, but that's just the one particular NIV that we're reading right now. There, there are like a million other versions that use different words that are key words that have completely different meanings in today's language, so... Um, you know, I was explaining to her how important it is for the true biblical scholars to to learn Greek and Hebrew and all that to really get more of the accurate like original text or the original words. But but even that is like yeah, that doesn't even account for slang. Slang and the fact that a lot of these were oral traditions back then, so there were yeah. stories passed down, you know, by people just telling the stories. And mm-hmm. one person to the next, and then later on, when people learn to write in Hebrew or Greek or whatever, then they're written down. But yeah. you know, it's like a game and of telephone that's happened over hundreds of years to get to that point. And somebody just being like, ah, "I don't want to write all this. This is like <laughs> what it basically is." <laughs> right. You got one lazy writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. These are the things that are are so ridiculous that. Your average Christian does not do any research into this, and your average Christian doesn't even think about these things. And even I, when I when I was a Christian, like I didn't think so deeply about these things. But it's all right there if you really just go deeper and deeper into it, you know. Yeah, and, and I the, uh, for 
me, I didn't really only see it to religion as well, to be honest. It was, I, see, I saw a lot of contradictions with a lot of different things. So the same thing that I applied to religion, I applied to um, other things. And uh, some things I realized that I was just like, okay, I don't really care. Um, just going to be in the dark. But then when that thing that I left in the dark uh, affects me, then I feel it's like it's my wasted opportunity where I have the chance to go and learn more about that. And I didn't. So that also gives me a drive to try to learn a little bit more on different things or just know the right questions to ask and know when I'm being asked a question um, where I'm only set up to answer answer the question in two ways. So, um, and that was the formula thing, like when we had that discussion about um, free will, like the question that's posed to you in free free will um, is to believe or not believe. And my question was, well, why do I have to believe or not believe? Um, Wait, 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 wait. You mean believe or not believe in the concept of free will? Being like, no. do we have free will or not? Believe or not believe in, um, or to love or not love um, God or Christ or whatever. Like the question is formed in that way, and I'm like, well, is that free will? Like you're giving me basically a true/false question. Yeah, I mean, I would think about it politically, right? So it's like, are you going to vote for Hillary Clinton or are you going to vote for Donald Trump? You know, and it's like that's supposed to sum up your political views and aspirations, like this one or that one. And it's like, that's not really a choice, you know. I'm not too happy about that choice. Yeah. Because I pretty much disagree with them on pretty much everything, both of them. So it's like when the question is framed that way, then um, then that frames up the rest of the the rest of the conversation. Right. And I try to make sure that um, whenever I catch something that's framed that way, I also ask a question. Well, um, what is behind that question? Or um, let's elaborate on that question. Right. Delve a little bit more, because what what questions like that are is just skimming the surface. So it's like for me, when I thought more about free will, um, it's more of a freedom to to do a lot of things. Um, but right now, it's just framed. I'm in a sandbox. I can only play in that sandbox when there's like a whole bunch of other sand outside of the box. Right. Yeah, I mean, we had that conversation on New Year's Eve, and it was really interesting to me because I, I've been living in Christian circles for so long, and the the conversation was always free will or predestination, free will or predestination, which is it? And yeah. outside of the Christian circles, nobody even talks about it because, like, why would an atheist or an agnostic or whatever talk about free will? It's just not in the conversations that 
they have. So when you mention about how you define free will and saying that we don't actually have free will because we don't have true freedom to do whatever our heart or mind would want to do. That was interesting to me because you kind of redefine what free will even means. Yeah. um, Well, like, it's kind of like um, when my eyes opened up to framing it like that, it was more that, okay, um, it was kind of a question of what is free will? And people always told me, whenever I asked the question, they were like, well, I'm free to go go outside, um, free to um, go to the store and get something. I was like, no, that's just like an action that's part of something that's already there. So you're, it's still kind of like in the confines of something. And when I started thinking more and more about it, like... I started including, like, well, what are the things that I can't, I can't do because of my confines? Mm-hmm. And well, like the limits, the limits of time and space, basically. Yeah, yeah. So those limits are me making my confines. It's I'm seeing the edges of this box that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so then that means that okay, I'm I'm in a box. I, so my, my ability to do anything is within that confine. So it's basically like I'm on a house arrest. Right. In this body, in this world. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's not freedom. And you could lessen the confine even more and even more where you go down to, um, uh, politics and, social uh, issues, um, you break the confines down into, down to that. And that's even less freedom when you do that. Right. And, and that, that was basically like, that was the thought process I ended up to that. Yeah. Honestly, we don't have free will because if, if everyone had the true limits of freedom that we're confined to, well, we would, be even more of a mess than we are now. Wait a minute. So, <laughs> if there was a such thing as free will, you think it would lead to complete chaos, right? Yes. Yeah. So, in a way, it's actually a good thing that we have these parameters as human yeah. beings in this world. Yes, because no one of us can do everything. No one of us can hunt, clean, um, uh, get shelter. Like, consistently. No one of us can do that. So, like, we have to have, like, a social decorum. Like, okay, we have to act in a certain way to be social with each other in order for us to help each other go further. Because I don't, like, whenever someone tells me, like, they they did stuff alone, I always question that as well. I was, I even questioned that when I said that, yeah, I learned this stuff on my own. It's like, no, there's been a lot of research before and that helped me with learning more things to get my train of thought. Um, I don't have to go out and hunt. So like, I just go to the supermarket to pick up food. Everything is delivered to the supermarket. Right. Humanity, it's all interconnected and, you know, very much that community aspect. Mm -hmm. So like if you, Basic down to just absolute freedom within the confines that we're stuck in. 
Um, I think there would be just more people just, um, either the population would go up or down, um, because more people would die from stupidity. (laughs) Um, Or people just murdering anybody else if they could. Exactly. In a sense, it would be like anarchy. Yeah. And that's, like, uh, because I watched a speech by uh, Bannon, and by who? He was also on um, Bannon. Uh, he was uh, Trump's. Uh, oh, Steve Bannon. Yeah. Okay. And um, I also he was also a, a guest moderator on. Uh, I always watched the monk debates every year, and he was a guest on there to debate about um, uh, putting government in anarchy. They believe government should be shouldn't be there and I'm on the other side where yeah I think government needs to be there because um well yeah I believe in limited government we need to we need to have some involvement but I just feel like there's so much overreach that I think we could definitely stand to do with less government well I don't I don't know if there's there's overreach on certain areas but I think there's just there's been too many um intricate laws that don't do anything that just helps people hide money yeah there's that too and <laughs> that's that's my issue more with uh, with government because like they'll say okay we'll, we'll create a law that um fix um certain issue that happened and nobody ever calls them out on it and well this law doesn't fix anything this law is just there to make it look like you fix something and it's actually easy, makes it easy for the people that cause the problem to still be able to cause the problem right so that's yeah that's also another thing with like like you said like an overreaching power it's it's more that the people there are just okay let's just do this for ourselves do this to appease the public mm-hmm. that's it well, that's the thing. I mean, there's so many things about politics that frustrate me, but one is just the grandstanding and how everything is just optics and politicians yeah. only do things in order to get reelected. Yeah. And every year, basically, is they're always thinking about the election cycle and, like, how they're going to get reelected. And, you know, it's almost... That's how, that's how I feel with the, uh, the Catholic Church and churches in general. How so? Because uh, I feel that it's gotten to be that it's so much politics involved. And it's not recent. It's from eons ago that it's just become about politics. Um, Because before, people couldn't read. And the church didn't want people to read. Right. Like, one of the things I want to do with Confucianity is actually inform people, believers, Christians, about Mm -hmm. the early church, how the church came to be the church, how Christianity even came to be Christianity in the first place. Um, Because a lot of that stuff was very eye-opening for me. Um, It wasn't necessarily the main reason why I left religion, but it definitely contributed to it. I mean, when when you read things about people having to pay penance, you know? Yeah. And, like, poor people, peasant class, um, you know, the proletariat basically being told 
after they die, they're going to go to purgatory or hell or whatever, and they need to pay to the church, you know, even to pay for loved ones who already died to pray, yeah. pay for their souls. I'm like, wow, what a classic rip-off Ponzi scheme or whatever. Yeah, and, that's but, the first Ponzi scheme, yeah, the first pyramid scheme. Right, and, and this is the early church. This is where it all came from. So you can't deny that. You know, if something has a, a rotten core, fine, it's going to evolve and church policies change. Like I know with the Mormon church, they didn't used to let anybody black in or like, you know, all these uh-huh. kind of things. And then, or like no gays or whatever. And then now what they kind of got with the times a little bit and now they're letting them in. But it's almost like their concessions, it's not what they really ideally truly wanted in the beginning, you know. But when you look at these things as being their core faith or the the, the truest, rawest form of the religion as being so twisted and wrong it's like why even go why even go with a modified form of it a softened form of it well isn't that what christianity is a modified form of judaism well yeah i mean it was started by jews yeah that's how it was born out of judaism yeah Yeah. (laughs) right and it's uh judaism like the judaism and um islam were the, the first two so it's basically your derivative of islam and judaism right have you heard of is it zoroastrianism something like that i can't pronounce it but zoroastrianism no so i was like zealotism no i was doing some research into this and uh i was watching some very interesting videos on the early church, how Christianity was born, basically, and how Judaism ended up borrowing from a lot of these other religions and pagan religions. Yeah. And one of those was Zoroastrianism. And um, forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, but I know it starts with a Z and it's something like that. Um, But it's just really interesting because a lot of the stuff from Zoroastrianism is like, you die and there's a heaven and a hell and then there's like there's a there's a evil force and a good force right so and all of those things got adapted into this new christian religion that was born from judaism but it mixed in a lot of these other pagan faiths so the more i learn about this the more i'm like huh it's really interesting um but nobody would know about this in the church nowadays. How would they ever know about this unless you go and do your own independent research? Because, of course, yeah. they'll, they'll never mention anything remotely like this at all in church. I went to church for like 30 years, 31, 32 years. And it's just the same cycle of eight sermons all year round. You got a sermon on tithing. You got a sermon on lust. You got a sermon on... You know, loving, turning the other cheek, and like, you know, sermon on don't have any idols, you know, don't worship money, blah, 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 and just like God is your all. And it's like, it's like the same 10 sermons that are just preached over and over again. And it frustrates me looking back on all the time that was wasted because I even felt it, even when I was a Christian. The last few years, I just feel like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of going to church and showing up? 
I mean, in New York at Redeemer Presbyterian, it was it's basically like a social club, and I and I was interested in learning more and getting deeper in the faith or whatever. But you know, most of my peers, most everybody there was like, you know, it's a meat market, and people are thinking after the service. People rarely got into an in-depth discussion about the sermon or anything. Instead, it's like, oh, where are we going to go for brunch? You know, so, yeah. you know, it is what it is, but ugh, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I feel like I needed to get more out of religion than most people there. Cause I went to a church that was mostly white and Korean and mm-hmm. everybody was just getting together. And I'm just this random Indian guy. And the only thing I have in common with them there really is the faith. And if the faith really didn't matter to them so much, then it put me at a disadvantage because I didn't fit into their buckets of what they're looking for, you know, in their social expectations, right? Yeah. So I was doing myself a huge disservice because I belonged more with independent, free-thinking, artist-type people. Um, and that's ultimately, you know, where I went, and that's why I'm so much happier now, but... Um, but that's the, I guess that's the thing where, like, um, my opinion on religion is like, I, I'm not held to any religion, so it's not one or the other or anything like that. Um, it's more that I understand religion and I understand, like, there probably needs to be some kind of religion out there or multiple, uh, because it helps with that community aspect and it helps with certain people need that thing to help them um, uh, develop and last through their life. Yeah, but um, I, I would argue, why does it have to be religion? Um, because religion is I rooted, all, these, all of these religions are rooted in these ancient myths and stories. Yes, and, and also cons. Sure, right. So... Like, one thing I was just having a little debate with Brian yesterday, and I was saying, I didn't even get around to finishing making this point with him. We were just texting about it. But I was saying, let's say there's a nuclear whatever, and mm-hmm. humanity is obliterated, but let's just say there's, like, 20 children or 50 children or whatever, so, or let's say 100. So there's 100 children. Somehow they're able to find food and take care of themselves. So they're of an age. But... These are also children, let's say, who haven't been taught any religion, right? So let's just say somehow they're old enough to take care of themselves, but they're blank slates, right? So they know nothing. They've never, they don't know, they have known nothing about Muhammad, Christ, Catholicism, Buddhism. They know nothing about that. It's just I guarantee you a religion will be created. Interesting. It won't be. It won't necessarily be anything that we understand now, but I guarantee you our religion will be right. created. Right, right. Okay, so I don't disagree with you. I, I would say Jesus would no longer exist, though, and no, Muhammad would no longer exist. it would be Jesus or Hamed. <laughs> no, it would... <laughs> I think probably what would happen is, because this is like young children, like Lord of the Flies, really. Yeah. We, they would definitely establish hierarchies, there would be leaders, there would be followers, there would be power plays, there would be abuses 
Um, you know, and I think, like, did you ever read Animal Farm? Yeah. Yeah, it would be like that. You would be, you know, power structures over time, and the might is right. You know, the bigger kids would maybe bully the weaker ones and this and that, and people would invent some, make up some shit. And, um, but it would be, it would be different though. So was your argument, well, was your argument more so that people would invent some kind of religion, even though the religion would be completely different than what we have now, the set of religions? Yes. And my, my main reason for, um, saying that is because, um, those kids won't be able to, there's no, no one to guide them on controlling their emotions, their fears, uh, what they see, and how to interpret what they see. Well, so, plus, yeah, exactly. Plus the thing is, is, they would be blown back to the Stone Age or whatever, so they wouldn't even know internet and satellites and technology and digital. Like, they'd have to start all over again. Yeah, and, like, it, when the sun comes up, they might... It doesn't have to come down to fully starting over again like that. It's just that they're dealing with um, all those things that they don't understand, and you're contributing that to, okay, I'm making something angry, or um, I did this, and this caused this to happen. Right. It, and yeah, my point is... is higher being... It would um, it would lead them back to that understand. it would lead them back to that primitive level of understanding like yes before science before you know like and I'm saying I'm saying that even if they had science the whole the whole religion thing is basically comes down to like I see it as an emotional thing yeah it's largely emotional for a lot of people it's not rational yeah it's yeah. not and uh, when you're when you're a kid growing up, the the thing that is, like, if you're lucky enough, you have an adult that helps you understand and be able to uh, control your emotions. Or not control them, to just know when certain emotions are arising. And you, because um, your emotional state dictates how you interpret the information that's coming through your eyes. Right. Because if you're scared and you're running and then you stop for a moment, and then it's late at night, moonlight is out, and you see these, um, you don't exactly know what you're running from, and then all of a sudden you see these uh, shadowy things kind of crawling on the ground, and you think it's coming towards you, mm-hmm. you're going to take off running, where it's actually the moonlight and the tree swaying, and it's the tr- shadow of the tree. Mm-hmm. But you contribute that to some kind of creature. Right. So, like... But you're better off being right about that than being wrong about that. Yeah, you're better off, right. like... As a survival playing. as a survival instinct. Yeah. Right. But um, what should happen is, like, um, you leave and then you, you get a group and go back and investigate. But there is no follow-up. Right. Like, it's only after years and years and like centuries is that more of us start doing follow-ups. Yeah. Well, kind of to this point, like I would say human beings are not driven 
I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's definitely not 100% or anywhere near 100% in terms of being logical creatures. Like, we don't no. we don't operate on, like, kind of what you described in that scenario. Like, oh, I was just terrified of that thing. Let me bring some people back and go and investigate it and calmly and rationally figure out what it was. Like, maybe some very rare people will be like that in some rare occasions. But I think, by and large, most people will be like, what the fuck was that? I'm not going back anywhere yeah. near in that jungle or whatever. Exactly. You know, and they'll live for the rest of their life in terror of of going back to that encounter that experience or whatever. So, um, but I think part of that is taught as well. Yeah, it's taught, but I I think it's innate in us, and not just us though. I think every living organism, you know, it's it's a no. survi- it's a survival instinct. I don't you know? think every living organism well, like, is like that. Like animals. I think it's, I think it's taught. I think it's taught. Um, well, no, I mean like an animal, a wild animal. If they go and they, you know, touch an electric fence or whatever, it's like once bitten, twice shy. You know, yeah, they're, they're, but you'll still get the uh, the other few that lurk around the fence and wait until it's not electrified anymore. Sure, but what does it have to do with being a learned or taught thing? Well, like, um, so if you if you do that for generations and you eliminate the ones that um, are still hanging around that fence, they'll just know not to go touch that fence. They won't know why. Right. Yeah, yeah. There was actually an experiment I saw on this with monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There was. But yeah, that's that's what I think. Like uh, the whole, uh, like passed down from generation to generation. So, um, okay, so that's what you mean by the taught thing. It's kind of more yeah. inherited. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I, I I feel like it's different than just being taught it. Like for example with the scenario I gave with the kids after nuclear fallout, um, they still will have inherited all of the previous generation's fears and, you know, those things will still play out, right? Even though they, yeah. weren't, even though they weren't explicitly taught by parents or society, these things, right? They will have some things still inside them, and that... See, that gets into a thought process I've been having now is um, is consciousness a byproduct of something else? Is consciousness a byproduct of something else? How do you mean? Um, meaning that, like, our consciousness is not real. Our consci- consciousness is a, a survival mechanism, and what we think is, as our individual doesn't really matter. It doesn't really exist. It's just something to help a containment move on. Are you saying we're all batteries in the matrix? No, not necessarily a battery in the matrix, but like, um, I came to this idea when I was uh, reading up more um, about crowd mentality years ago. Okay. Like, um, you could feasibly say that like, other certain people that you think is um, would think of as uh, rational individuals, when you get them in together into a crowd, they do pretty dumb things according to the crowd, what the crowd is doing. Mm. 
And when Viv and I went to the, we went to a protest in Washington, D.C., and we're walking around, and it's like some of those people I knew I've met through her, and I went there to protest about something specific. And then the things were changing, and they were still protesting. And Viv was still protesting, and I turned to her and I was like, this is not what I came here for. Wait, can you be more specific about things changing? Um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what the protests, because um, it was protesting Trump. That's what I assumed. Yeah, but... Um, immigration policy. Yeah, I went there for, yeah, it was an immigration policy. Um, some, a majority of his, his policies at the beginning, I would say pretty damn close to 100% I hated. And I thought was blatantly just anything that had Obama on it, get rid of it. And I went there to protest about that. And since she works for a union, um, union helps uh, the employees get there. Their spouses, if they want to come, come. So yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll go. And we went, and we were protesting a specific thing. And then the chant kind of melded with other people that were chanting. So it became this one other chant. And the more people, the more that the chanting morphed into something else. And I was like, that's not what I came here for. <laughs> I'm not down with this um, yeah. peripheral uh, chant. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, got into something else and they were still chanting um, and they were still chanting a little bit too but like um, I said yeah this isn't what, why I came here we were at the beginning we were doing something else now the words that's coming out is nothing like what it was at the beginning Okay. now it's something else right and then they started um yelling, um, oh, they started yelling shame, 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 shame. And I was like, like Game of Thrones. Why are they, why are they quoting Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have busted out laughing, just like, what are, what are we doing here? What's going on? Yeah, so I was, I turned to Bill and I was like, okay, like, um, when we get to that area, we're, we're leaving. I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> and, there was a uh, counter protesters, but there were like uh, one was about um, pro life, mm -hmm. and I tried getting a discussion with one of the guys there, and it was just I just realized that that person was not of sound mind to do any kind of discussion. So we just went to the museum and then went to eat. Okay. But um, my point is that. How things can evolve um, and devolve in a group, a mass mentality, crowd, yeah. crowd mentality. So, so that mass mentality is that a consciousness. Right, this group collective consciousness. Yeah. So, like, when you think about, like, our bodies I, itself. I would it's say it, just... it has a pull. I would say it has a pull, but you, for one, you're an example you just gave. You chose not to partake in that. So. Yes. But if that's a consistent thing going day after day after day, 
and that is being reinforced, then you just become part of that mass consciousness. Most people do, yeah. 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 I mean, look at Facebook. Look at social media. Exactly. I, I was just talking with somebody earlier today how I don't really check Facebook anymore. And I know you're off Facebook, and that's probably a good move. Um, but the, the only thing I've posted in the last... I mean, I posted one post that I moved to Philadelphia. That was it. But other than that, I've been posting pictures of cute dogs running around. And, um, you know, that's about it. Because I just... I enjoy, you know, animals and cute stuff. So, um, but that's basically about it with my involvement with um, Facebook and social media. Because I go on there and I look at what people are posting. And these are friends of mine. And I'm like, it's like everybody is an activist now. And not that there's anything wrong with being an activist. But it's kind of like, it's more of that crowd mentality you're talking about. Yeah. Where people are just sharing links without even reading the articles, and you know, if you ask them question like questions about what they're being an activist about, you realize that it's pretty hollow. They don't have anything to any thought on it, right? And that's that. That's part of my problem with a lot of people, and I saw this happening in a smaller scale before social media. Yeah, and social media just exacerbated the, oh. Pro- the problem. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of in a weird situation because I'm like, as an independent content creator, I need to, you know, I'm building a brand, I'm building brands, like, to, I need to be involved with social media, I need to be publishing content, and I enjoy creating content and publishing it, but, uh, like, for me, the the draw of social media all along since the very beginning has been connecting with people. It's just a means of connecting with people. You know, Facebook is a means of connecting with friends and family located elsewhere. Um, and then other other platforms like YouTube or Pinterest or Twitter or whatever, just being as an artist, as an independent creator to publish works and have them be received by an audience and to engage with people that way. And ideally to monetize and make a living somehow doing that so I don't just have to do client work forever. Um that was kind of the dream or the, the aspiration. And I feel like it kind of started out that way, but it's really devolved largely into a pay to play kind of thing in terms of publishing and marketing your content, but also the toxicity that we're talking about where you really just have to post an angry tweet about Trump and then people will love that and retweet it and like it. Or you can take the other side of the fence and be like very pro-Trump or whatever, and those people will get on board, you know. But I'll post a thoughtful tweet, right, that's not taking either side and maybe just, you know. And at least with Twitter, I feel like it's completely pointless because I I feel like I'm just tweeting into a vacuum where nobody hears or cares anything that I have to say about anything. Um, And it didn't used to be that way. I used to have all these random thoughts and funny one-liners and all these kind of jokes and things. And I would tweet them and I would get a response, like people liking the tweet and retweeting and following and all that kind of stuff. And it was fun. It was cool. And I would meet new people that way and it was great. Uh, But not anymore. You know? So I don't know what to do about it, though. You know? 
Because there's a big part of me that just doesn't want to be involved with social media at all anymore. But on the other hand, I'm like trying to be a creator in the world now. It's like with both hands tied behind your back. That's what it feels like. Well, it's it's like what I I said to you like a while ago. It's like yeah, social media is what it is. But like, um, be aware of what it is. Like, if you're aware of it, then you're fine. Yeah. I'm okay. I mean, I am aware of what it is. I try not to hinge my happiness and personal satisfaction on social media, which even that is an exercise. You know, it's a mental, you have to make a focused effort to not attach your self-worth or your success, you know, metrics to how many followers you have, how many likes you have. Um, So I... I'm aware of that and I hopefully I'm getting a little better about that, but it's still, it's still frustrating, you know, like right now it feels good when I post a certain piece of content and a few hundred people are liking it and people are sharing it. That feels great. And then on my other account, my other brand for my personal brand, I'll, I'll do a drawing and it's kind of like, all right, 20 people like it. And that's the end of, that's the end of the story. So, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah but um you gotta remember that um i treat it i i treat social media as um gambling at a casino i have one of those slot machines you just kind of throw a coin in there or throw content out there and just see Some, yeah. sometimes it'll take like, off and other times nothing yeah yeah and i don't go to the slot machine a lot so right right <laughs> Going back to kind of what sprung this conversation in the first place when I was talking about how we were talking about social media and being an independent creator and, and all that verse, yeah. versus having a day job, basically, to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of saying, if I can help it, I would rather not go back to working in an office again Yeah, because I just like having more freedom and control. Like the work-life balance, I'm kind mm-hmm. of... In an ideal world, I totally agree with you. I want my life to just be my life, and the work can just kind of be a part of that. But, And I feel like that's better accomplished when I'm not stuck in an office for 9 or 10 hours a day and I can't really do anything else while I'm there. So working from home is a good step in the right direction, which is why I try to work from home as much as possible. But even beyond that, I think about residual income. I think about royalties and things like that. Um, where I would like my life to move more in the direction of I'm doing what I love to do all the time, every day, even if it is seven days a week. I don't mind yeah. because I love creating. I love sharing what I create, right? So as long as I can make enough money to make a living doing that, I don't mind doing that seven days a week because like you were saying earlier, like to me, it doesn't feel like work because I'm doing what I love. So, yeah. but the problem is, is, I mean, the struggle is real, making that a reality when I have to play the social media game and pay for marketing and do whatever, which I haven't done a whole lot of that, you know, and maybe that's my downfall is I have to just suck it up and do all this shit that I don't really want to do. Uh, let me, let's touch on, I, I may or may not include this, but I am curious to hear your thoughts about confusianity. You know, like like we talked the other day about you were like stoked about it, and 
and I said I'm kind of feeling out sort of the brand values and what I want to want to do with it and whatnot. Um, do you have any thoughts on Confucianity and sort of what well, it, what it could be or what you would like to see it as or anything really? Well, like um, the thing I liked about the idea was just to it's just to kind of like open up and have kind of like a, an unfiltered way of um, say with a specific question you just say well like this the parameters of this question this is what it's asking you to make it a little bit clearer for people um, trying to figure out how to explain that it just goes back to like the way that I framed the the free will question the way it's presented is pretty loaded and for you to just uh, answer it in two ways um, don't look at questions as a multiple choice look at it as an essay right I do think that's important in general because I feel like the educational system I mean you grew up in Jamaica but I feel like the educational system in America I don't know how similar it would be but I feel like well, I, th- I feel like it's even worse now, yeah, you know, with kids these days, because I feel like the schools, they don't actually teach critical thinking. And I feel oh, like, absolutely not. and I feel like that's even happening at a, at a collegiate level now where yeah. it's more of the mass think and like the left wing activism and, you know, everybody's just spouting talking points and they don't even know what they're you know what I mean? They think they know what they're picketing and protesting. and But if you stop and question them very deeply, they're like, uh, yeah, you know, because Trump sucks. And, you know, da 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 And, um, you know what I mean? So I feel like for Confucianity, starting with a focus in religion and Christianity, but it can be applied across the board. I'm just trying to encourage critical thinking, really. and And also... Just thinking for yourself, you know, and people coming to their own conclusions about life and their belief system and you know what I mean? Because it's like breaking out of that mold of kind of what I suffered through in the sense of I was born into Christianity and I accepted it and embraced it and it wasn't really working for me. And ultimately I pulled myself away from it. It took a couple of years and I it took a lot of my thirties to kind of deprogram myself, but I guess I'm looking at it as wanting to help people in that process um, of thinking for themselves and feeling okay about that without guilt, without shame, without hesitation, because those are the kind of things that have plagued me my whole life. You know, like I feel like I've always been a very, skeptical, doubting, critical thinking individual. But at the same time, I was never in environments that really encouraged that, you know? So there was always that internal struggle within myself, right? Of, oh, like this doesn't, isn't gelling well, gelling with me, but I feel like I just have to accept this because that's my identity and this is my community, you know? And I, I guess with Confucianity, I really want to encourage people that, you can think for yourself. You can come to your own conclusions. and But part of the problem with that, though, too, is that 
So, okay, let me let me shift gears on that a little bit because there's a lot of what I've seen in kind of the atheist versus religious, you know, media space is that you have a lot of sciencey people, sciencey atheist people who are very quick to label religious Christian people as just idiots, you know? And, yeah, and, and that's a problem. Right. It's a problem, not just for the sake of, well, you're never going to convince anybody with that kind of attitude, but also. I don't think you can completely remove personal experience from the equation. You know what I mean? But that's what they're kind of trying to do. They're trying to say, okay, you believe in Jesus or you believe in that or you believe in ghosts or whatever. And they're like, what are you basing that on? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's a feeling or God spoke to me or whatever. And the atheist sciency movement is kind of like, well, you're an idiot because you can't prove that. Whereas really, I do believe in personal experience and the power of personal experience. For me... Everything happens in your mind, right? So, fine, there is an objective reality, and we all have our subjective glimpses at it, right? So, like, the sky is blue, we might say, but somebody kind of sees it as greenish or whatever. You know, even though most people might say it's blue or whatever, but, like, they, they're entitled well, to their subjective there's a, view. There's a village that uh, sees the sky as white. <laughs> right. Which is, again, more of the point of everything is highly subjective, but at the same time, we can't have chaos in a society if, if there's no, if we can't agree on two plus two, two equals four, you know, and certain basic oh. medical procedures and traffic lights when it's green don't go, or when it's green go, when it's stop red, you know, we have to agree on some objective parameters, right? Well, the, the thing that... Um when someone asked me if I believe in God, I was like, what's the parameters of that question? So does it mean that uh, do I believe in God, a God, or your God? Or am I calling something God? Right. Like, what is the parameters of that? Like, that's my argument Right. Um, whenever someone asked me that. Because I put it, um, like I framed earlier, that... Um, well, like, um, if you're talking about a, a being that's able, like, that being could very well have created us. But that being doesn't, is not all these things that you're attributing to that being, where it's uh, benevolent. That being could be very malicious. And us being here is a byproduct of what that thing was doing. Right. If you look it's at the Old Testament alone... That God is very malicious. Yeah. So, like, my, my issue with religion is um, the things that they're uh, attributing to religion. Because I don't see that necessarily as religion. The same thing where, like, um, the, the definition of a human being, um, I don't consider those things human traits. And that's where me being an atheist is kind of like, I'm kind of like in a weird area where, yeah, sure, there could be like this higher being, but it's a higher being. It's not, a, it, to us, it might appear like godlike, but it's just a being. Okay. So like that thing can exist, but it's not necessarily a god. It's, you're attributing all these parameters to it. Right. Well, yeah, if you look through all the ancient myths and literature, we tend to personify 
gods. You know, yeah. what, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans or, you know, even Judaism and Christianity. Right. So there could be, what you're saying is there could be a higher power, a god, but we're wrong to kind of put all these labels on it and um, define it in these very concrete ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not really technically atheist in a way. You're kind of more agnostic. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the bean could be a giant turtle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, oh, it's a god. We're living on its back. It's providing us food. It created us. Well, no, it didn't really create us. We just kind of grew up there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, what confused the entity is more that, like, one of the things in martial arts, I also use with just, uh, regular things is um, I don't hold on to something so tightly that I'm dragged away with it. Yeah. Um, I need to be able to let it go and be able to pick it back up. And or let it go, or let it go, it in, or let it go entirely. Right. If you need yeah. to, I can. So it's basically presenting things in that point, that light. So you understand when, um, a question is coming to you in a certain way and you're able to look back and see, okay, there's 500 years of why now that question is formulated that way. So that question, when it comes to you, just kind of think about it a little bit and think about, okay, like, um, what's the framing of that question? Why that question is framed that way? And what's my answer, my initial answer, and then research a little bit and see if my initial answer is still going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the way that I saw uh, the possibility for confusing any. Almost like kind of uh, dissecting the questions that are being asked themselves. Yes, and then... because everyone takes these questions as, oh, you mean this direct answer? Because we're taught to do that. Right. We're not really taught to say, like, I just, I got lucky because I had certain people ask me questions that led me to answer deeper and deeper. Mm. In your childhood? And, yeah. Like, um, my mom usually, like, she usually asked me questions and it's like, I have to think of deeper and deeper. And yeah, she was the more religious one out of, like, everyone in the family. And we've had religious talks while growing up and I have to answer in certain ways and it's also with my um, my choice of going to school because my dad didn't want me to go to college because he thought it was useless and my mom she was like well what do you want to do and I didn't have an answer of what I wanted to do I just I knew what I wanted to do from a kid but it's more that I I don't feel that applies. I feel that I need to understand how to learn and figure out what I want to do. And in a way, I'm still kind of figuring out what I want to do because like, and I'm still trying to understand how to learn better. Right. I think that's a good journey for you to be on and for all of us to be on. Yeah. I kind of wonder how many people are actually on that journey though. You don't know. <laughs> you never know. I know, like but people, I'm just curious, like, in general, don't you think most people 
they are kind of like, all right, this, 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 and this. That's who I am. That's what I believe. That's just going to be the way it is for the next 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Yeah. Die. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. That's probably the majority of people. Yeah. It's, it's, it is the majority. And yeah. that's why I say it's unfortunate. And that's why I, I was constantly, I think that that's where like, um, for me, like my mid twenties, it was just like, I was always down because I didn't have a lot of critical thinkers around me. I basically had a couple of my friends that were like that and the rest of my friends don't. And if I wasn't hanging out with the friends that I was able to talk and have those conversations with, um, I don't know, I'd probably end up in a mental institution. (laughs) (laughs) It would be, it's that extreme for you. Yeah. Hmm. Do you feel like you could, you wouldn't be able to thrive just on your own with those thoughts like left to yourself to kind of process them and wrestle with them on your own? Um, no, because, um, it's kind of like I was speeding through those thoughts so much and switching from different things to different things and also trying to figure out what, like, um, what I wanted to do for work. And this was before I, uh, ended up being a print production manager. Um, like I just didn't know what, because every single thing that I also attempted, I realized that I was able to get pretty decent at it really quickly compared to someone that was doing it for a while. And then I realized it was just because the way that I was spending time to learn in the beginning and formulate, and then it was more, um, um, observing and that's why I almost became a cop. Like, I almost went to the the academy. Because I thought, okay, maybe I'd be good as a cop. And then I realized, no, like, there's still assholes at cops anyway. So, like, I mean, there's assholes in every field. And it was just a... I didn't like carrying around a gun all the time. Like, I don't like... I, that was something I didn't like to... I didn't want to work with. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, what else? So, like, I think now, like, I think my career path should have been um, a, some kind of a scientist or um, some type of a, a librarian where you're housing science equipment or something like that. Yeah, I could totally see that for you, <laughs> being a librarian or, like, a scientist of some sort. It requires a lot of patience, but I feel like you, you have the patience. Certainly more patience than I do. I'm so much more of like a hedonist that desires immediate satisfaction. Yeah, but yeah, back to the point of confusing that's that's basically what I think it is. It's just like, um, if, it, uh, if I have to distill it down, it's when you're being asked a question, don't, an- don't answer it like a multiple choice answer it more like an essay mm-hmm. yeah totally like yeah even like how i'm how i want to phrase questions with people it's like not just like do you believe in god or not yeah like i just want to be like well like what do you believe that's more of the question you know i'm like well why do you believe that and like you yeah. know what led you to believe that what do you like about it what don't you like about your belief system what's working for you what's not have you ever thought about this or that like you know 
Like I'm, I guess in a way, the way I interact with other people about this, like I have a curiosity about what people believe and why they do. But also I, there's this element of, I feel like I'm always preaching to myself, you know? Uh So by me sort of challenging other people to question their beliefs deeper or whatever the case, like by me doing that, it helps me also remind myself to question what I believe more deeply, you know? Yeah. It's like whenever I go into that question or go into those conversations, um, I realize that most of the time my beliefs are, are kind of loose. Like, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm not gripping at my beliefs. Right. Um, but the other person is, and I'm curious on why do they grip to that if they haven't thought about it? Right. That's the kind of the ironic thing is I, people like you and I, we, think way more deeply about what we think and believe. And at the same time, we're so loose with it that we could shift and change, right? Whereas most other people, it's the polar opposite on both fronts. They don't think that much about what they believe and they super hang on to it like life and death. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of, that's crazy. You'd think it would be the other way around. (laughs) Yeah, it's dangerous. For sure, but it's it's weird because I, I don't know, 90% of people out there are more like the other way and maybe 10% or less are like how we go about things. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, it's really weird. Like, I might actually want to do some episodes with certain people I'll interview that are going to be highly political. Like, I might even have a whole podcast episode that's just talking politics because not so much in the past week. In the past week, I've been doing a lot of research about the early church and the the Bible and how it came to be and, and Jesus and all that. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a lot of political videos on YouTube, like just um, Steven Crowder. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's kind of more of a libertarian right-wing kind of guy. Um, and I like some of the things he says and some of the points he makes, but, you know, he's also super Christian religious. And I'm like, okay, well you kind of lost me there, but it's weird because as I watched more and more of those videos. I thought they were making a lot of good points. And I found myself, I don't want to say, uh, regressing, but I was, I felt pulled a little bit more back to my old Republican, you know, conservative days, you know, and, and yet they lose me on the super religious stuff. So somehow I feel like I'm actually kind of laissez-faire government, like limited government, um, you know, less taxes, more personal freedom, very libertarian agenda. Um, But then they throw in this whole Jesus Christianity thing, which in the past week alone, I've seen so much evidence for Christianity basically just being made up, where I'm like, all right, you, you guys lost me there. So what we were just talking about a couple minutes ago about how we think so deeply about things, but we're so not attached to wherever we're at in a belief. Like I'm highly malleable. I realize Um, I'm constantly oscillating between left and right. And I don't like to throw around the terms good and bad anymore. So, you know what I mean? Like I can't really describe what I'm talking about with myself being liquid, you know, here and there, like it's a good thing or a bad thing. 
you know, well, it, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and it's um, kind of like, um, it's kind of like uh, you're shifting between good points, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, like I think with my uh, my views in politics, uh, I think people would think <laughs> people would be very probably nervous the way that I think and be like, well, that's pretty out there. You make people um, uncomfortable with how you think about things, right? Well, it's more that because um, I'm still, I don't consider myself an American. I don't, um, even though that I, I went and did the citizenship thing, it's more like um, what, when it comes to politics, I have certain views that I'm, I'm not in Republicans. I'm not a Democrat. Like, um, I always tell people, I look at the policies. Yeah. certain policies on both sides that I like, and um, it, the policies tend to be more democratic. Um, but, yeah, I still stick with just policies, because um, at any moment, um, the parties could flip again, where the policies I agree on more on the Republican side. My problem is, the in general, it doesn't really matter to them what policies one of their constituents is pushing it's more sticking with the group yeah it's like what's the party platform yeah yeah and i feel that's a dangerous thing because um like i said the party had flipped before and if people looked at back why it flipped and when it flipped it's uh it's not a good thing for minorities (laughs) Because, um, yes, um, it was the Republicans that uh, put that law into place, proclamation thing, uh, under Lincoln, but um, that wasn't really enforced. There was still slavery happening. It was like if you were an educated black person, you were kidnapped. Mm. And it's not that slavery was only in the South. It was in the North as well. Like... um, about 80 years after that uh, was put into law, uh, there was still slavery in, in Pennsylvania. Hmm. And After um, the Emancipation Proclamation, there was slavery in yeah. Pennsylvania 80 years later? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. I, I've never heard that. Yeah. Um, so, like, I look at policies. Um... I don't really look at party as the thing. Um, yeah. And I also, to, and also rhetoric, because yeah. that's just a bunch of bullshit that people spew. Mm-hmm. So when it and then and the term liberal, I'm confused of how that's being used as well because yeah, that term, both Republicans and Democrats are liberal because. The alternative to that was um, monarchy. So um, when it comes to like saying, "Oh, um, you're liberal," well, aren't you liberal as well? Because well, compared to a monarchy, but that's not really up for debate. Yeah. We're... So well, that goes back to just using words without understanding the definition of them. Well, I do agree that it's tough to nail down the liberal definition these days but 
I think you could come up with a bullet list of items for the described kind of conservative versus liberal. And you've probably heard there's like fiscally versus socially, right? So somebody could be fiscally conservative, but socially liberal, you know, that happens. Um, yeah. And yeah, like the things that, um, it's more the, I guess like the hard policies where they split at, um, that I also have an issue with. And I have an issue with how they go about like contesting as well, because no one really think deeper on the, on the issue. Of course not. They, it's just like, um, yeah. Well, if this is partisan. there, it shouldn't, it doesn't, shouldn't exist. Yeah. It's just partisan politics as usual all the time. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, this is, yeah. this, I mean, as confusing as it can be for people and for myself, this is a weird thing for me to say, but this is honestly where I'm at these days. I feel personally less torn between Republican and Democrat, and I feel more the pull between, or for me to struggle to decide where I fit, more between libertarian and socialist. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, like, for example, let's say Green Party versus um libertarian right mm-hmm. like if tulsi gabbard is the democratic candidate i'll probably vote for her in the next election but they're already gunning for her so much it shows you that the establishment doesn't want her to to rise and be the president which to me sh- shows that oh okay she must be even better than i thought she would if the establishment wants to take her down so um but if it ends up being Kamala Harris and like basically another Hillary Clinton versus Trump situation, then I'm kind of torn between Green Party and Libertarian because, you know, I do think it's wrong with healthcare to turn it into a profit industry, you know? Like, I just feel like, I feel like ethically that's wrong. How are we putting a price tag on people's well-being, you know? In yeah, in a and, civilized you know c- country like America where there's a lot of wealth, it just seems well, like the my point with with that was um, was that we're we're heading people are keep pushing to go more towards capitalism like because that's the model of this country like it's a capitalist. Um, um, that was one of the tests too, on for being a citizen. Uh, I forget what the frame, how they framed it. What is the economic system that's used in America? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. And like I've always felt that um, it's got to be a blend of like all of them put together, um, because if it's pull up straight capitalism. It's basically this is what it is. And yeah, it's basically it's like going to get worse. Yeah, it's Darwinism. You know, the strong get stronger, rich oppress the poor, gets poorer, and yeah. like that's just yeah, exactly. And um, it becomes easier and easier to make these quick fix because I'm I'm not uh, pro raising the minimum wage to fifteen. Yeah. See, every again, that's like a talking point for the liberal left dem- democratic. Ad- platform and i'm like okay aaron and i have talked about this before well he'll get 
I don't really deal with recruiters that much, but he'll get an email from a recruiter and they're like, hey, we want to hire you for this animation gig, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, we can pay you $25 an hour. And and yeah. it's like, okay, and you want to raise the minimum wage for Jorge McDonald's to 15 an hour? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's, I'm just like, where are we going with this? Where somebody has really qualified in a highly technical skill and they're being paid $25 an hour. And then somebody just shows them at McDonald's and they're making $15 an hour. You know, what are, what are we really solving by raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour? Yeah, and that that was, um, like, um, I was telling Viv my point on that, because she was confused of why I, because I, I heard about it, and then I was like, it seems like an okay idea, and I was like, I gotta think about that more. Right. And after I thought about it more, I was like, yeah, it's just a quick fix. It's not going to do anything. Right. It's only going to do something for the next maybe five years, like five or ten years. Well, yeah, then, when, you, when you factor in inflation and, and money becoming less valuable and people making more money or whatever, but it's like... No, no, no. I'm not even factoring that. Um, I was factoring in, okay, so um, you're raising the minimum wage. Basically, low-skilled jobs. Mm-hmm. Are those low-skilled jobs going to still be there? Now, are you talking about, like, robots and AI and taking over a lot of those tasks? It doesn't even have to get to that. Because, like, um, with with low-skilled jobs, um, yeah, you're giving them um, a higher pay so they could, uh, they use the term a livable wage. Mm -hmm. Which, yes, I understand that. But why... Why is their wage not livable anymore? Because the relegations that should be in place in other areas aren't. That's part of the issue. It's easier to raise the minimum wage and do other things versus do the other stuff that needs to be done. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is it would be okay, it would be okay for the- them to still earn $7 an hour as long as you fix other things in society where they were actually able to have health care and you know, take care of their kids and raise a family and, you know, have a normal life, even though you're only making seven fifty an hour. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, there's other things that need to be fixed. That's not going to be fixed with $15 an hour. It's going to, it's going to basically, um, it's plugging a hole in a dam yeah. for now. I feel like, see, that's the problem with the liberal left Democrat agenda is I feel like they do that kind of thing. Where they're just like, fifteen dollars an hour, a livable wage, and then everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <sighs> it sounds nice, but you're you're like you're saying, like you're not really solving the problems. Yeah, and well, I have that on the, the Republican side too because I like those other things that need to be in place are the things that are going to halt um, capitalism a little bit. And it's going to be less money going into the big corporations' hands. Right. Did you see the articles? You probably didn't, but I saw this on Facebook when I went logged on. People were posting about um, the new tax laws, GOP, and uh, Netflix not paying any taxes, and Amazon and all this shit. And, um, you know, they got billions of dollars in profit, and they're not paying any taxes. And going back to the toxicity of Facebook, I read one of these articles there on Netflix not paying any taxes, and... You could tell the tone of who posted it was like, Trump and the GOP is so bad with these tax laws, giving all these breaks. 
I actually went in and I read the article, and it showed that even back during the Obama administration, they were still paying zero dollars in taxes. Yeah. So I, I made the comment on Facebook. I was like, oh, just so you know, the article said they've been not paying taxes for years now, so this isn't something new with the GOP and Trump. Yeah. But those are the kind of things where I'm like, somebody's posting something angrily and portraying it in such a way as like demonizing Trump. And this, what I said, what I commented is not a defense of Trump and the GOP by any means, but I'm just saying, let's look at the facts. You know, this has been going on for a long time in corporate greed and loopholes. These are all the problems that need to get fixed. You know, you can't just allow companies to make billions of dollars in profit and not pay any taxes and then say, oh, $15 minimum wage for the poorest people. And then like, we're done. Like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's for, um, I forget her name, or, Ortez, or... Oh, C-O-A, A-O-C, that lady. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, for all her faults, there was this one thing that I was like, finally, a politician is asking those questions. Okay, what was she asking? Um, because there's no law against a politician accepting money from these corporations right. and changing laws to to basically help them. Right. And that has been my issue for a very long time. Yeah, campaign finance reform. It's one of those. Uh, uh, it's not even. It's not even campaign financing. It's yeah. just financing. Right. <laughs> it's just blatant corruption. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just funny, though, because when you bring that up to regular Americans, people don't vote on that shit. Exactly. But the thing um, is, it's not like, they, not like they even have a viable option, though. No. Because it's, it's, if they vote Democrat or Republican, they're still the same, because all those candidates are funded by the same companies. And that's why you vote on policy. I know, but when you go and you pull the lever, you're not voting on policy. You're voting on people who are politicians who are already bought and sold. Yes, but policies keep coming up throughout. And, you know, those town meetings, they're supposed to happen more continuously. They're not. What do you you mean supposed to? They're supposed, everyone that you elect into office, they're supposed to have these town meetings that happen, um, there's supposed to be scheduled town meetings that's supposed to happen more frequently than they do. Is that constitutional or something? It was something written in the laws. That's why they're there. Mm. And, and on top of that, the amount of people that we have in office versus the population, there's a disparity there. They're supposed, based on the population, there should be more. So the people that we have in government aren't enough there for the population, the current population in the United States. So you're saying we need more people in politics? We do need more people in government. (laughs) It is kind of interesting to think about the future of politics in America. Like, we're already seeing this uh, rise of celebrity. Yeah. When people talk about Oprah and The Rock and all this shit, or or Kanye or whatever, it's like, there's that, but then... It's been like that since Reagan uh, and since Kennedy. Which really is just kind of the dawn of TV, really, and like public image. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, 
that's the catalyst for everything that we have. Right. But what I was about to say is I wonder if there will be a trend toward regular people running for office and getting into politics. On the one hand, I could see that trend happening because more people are becoming activists. It's going to be macho camacho. <laughs> no, that's the celebrity thing already. That's already happening. Yeah. That we've passed that with Trump as president. But um, what, I, what I was saying is I was kind of wondering if more regular people are going to get involved in politics. But on the, uh, I, I could see that happening. But on the other hand, I, it won't happen. Because because regular because, people don't have the money. Uh, it's not only the money. It's more that, um, well, yeah, it is the money. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is the money. <laughs> but, yeah, also, people will get skewered in terms of yeah. knowing lingo and policy and not having backgrounds in it. and It's just knowing you know. policy. Because yeah. um, if someone actually goes through and uh, learn policies, uh, I think they'll be able to destroy any politician. Yeah. Well, you know, politicians have a way of wiggling out of the tough questions. No, well, that comes with how you formulate your question as well. Yeah. Well, then the problem moves on to our press and how bought out the press already is. So that's why the tough questions are never really asked. Yeah. And what Um, what I hate is when they actually dare to ask a tough question... And, and they move on. And the politician, an yeah, the politician gives a bullshit answer, and then they just, yeah, they just move on. And yeah, like, that's, oh. that irritates me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you were so close to actually being a decent journalist, or, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were halfway there. <laughs> I give you a half clap. <laughs> because, uh, I forget the name of the class that it was taking, but um, a book I still have to read, I was from her classes, what you think about politics, what you think you know about politics, but don't. Okay. Um, I would recommend everybody read that book. It's, um, Did you, you already read it? No, she already read it, and she said, like, some of my views were uh, in that book. Wait, Viv read it? Yeah, because she read it for class. Okay. So what... And, Basically, does it does the book sum up a lot of polit- common political views that American citizens have that are, are erroneous and built on false premises? Yeah, and it kind of alludes how the it. government should be working and mm. why it's not working that way. That does sound like a good read, but then the problem is though, going back to work life balance and whatnot, is that yeah. I know I have this problem and a lot of Amer- Americans do as well, which is like I don't really read that many books anymore because I don't have time to just sit down and read a book, you know? Like, I feel like I can take in a lot more information quickly by watching a video. Um, I mean, I guess I could do the audio book of what you're, the book you mentioned. I could do that. Um, yeah, but uh, one of the things, the reason, the, I would say it still take the time to read, and it sounds weird me saying that, because I, I don't care to read that much. Um, I'm such a I'm such a slow reader. That's the hang up for me. I like to read, yeah. and I used to read a lot more in the past. But now it's like I feel like I'm running less and less on time, and more and more like things to do. And I'm like I I, I don't have time to read an entire book. Like, my my problem is that um, after every chapter, or if like uh, three or four paragraphs, 
I stop and kind of analytically go over it because I don't really read um, things to do with stories anymore. Like the last, the last things I read was. You talking um, about you don't read fiction anymore? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I right now, the thing that I'm reading is a, it's this book on uh, economics that was from the industrial era. So, like, after I read, like, um, four paragraphs or so, I actually stop and ingest it and try to formulate it. And if I miss a point, I go back and read that part. And then, like, a lot of this, what this guy is saying, I don't agree with. So I also formulate my own, my own argument. So that also makes it longer for me. Yeah. It makes me longer to read stuff that true, way. True, true. But I, I still go through with it. Right. Yeah, I remember all the Christian books. I actually I should pull them out. That would be interesting for Confucianity. So I have all these Christian author books that I mm-hmm. read before. And I remember even when I was a Christian, I would be reading them and I would put all these notes in the margins about shit I completely disagree with or I'm like asking a question like how can you just say that? Or like, you know, just like all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what is that based on? And like, what is about this? And I'm like, I'm like yelling at the book I'm reading. Um, but it would be interesting, like, maybe to scan some of those notes and, like, post them on Confucianity or whatever, because I'm, like, I was so... It's funny when I think about the person I am today, because I'm, like, all the signs were there all along for me to be this person. You know what I mean? There was was always this struggle, or, like, even being a designer, like, just the way I kind of go about things and my thinking and creative thoughts is, like, it was there as a kid. But the same thing in terms of religion and politics and all of these things is that I was always uneasy about things that don't seem true, you know? Yeah. And I would question them. It just, you know, just what things wouldn't sit well with me. And uh, I felt compelled to say something about it or question it. And when you talked about being in the wrong circles, you know, and how that would be the end of you before... I feel like for in large part, I was in the wrong circles for a really long time. And I really like the transition that I went through in my 30s because it ended up leading me to hang out with a lot more people who are more entrepreneurial, um, people who are just positive thinkers, people who are very active and go-getters and hungry, both for personal success, but also just, you know, to make the world a better place, to do something with their lives, you know, to leave a legacy um, a lot of people in New York like that who I met in my mid to late 30s, way more than I was meeting in church in my 20s. So, yeah, when I think about who I am today now, it's almost, like, obvious that I arrived here. But, like, god damn, it took so long to get here. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I was always, I have this true self all along. But I was allowing all of these, you know, I was living in this environment that was not incubating it correctly. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was, um, I didn't know how to articulate my thoughts. Like, there's still some that I still don't know how to articulate. I've just gotten better at doing that. So mm. other people will understand me a little bit better. But, um, yeah, like, I feel like, like, I've always enjoyed talking with people that were, like, older and have gone through a lot 
where they've um, they've been in religion and out of religion. Um, they study history as well. Um, I always like sitting and talking with people like that, um, mainly because they they're usually aware when um, they're presenting something with a filter. Mm-hmm. So they try to present it to to me where they say, okay, here are my biases, but um, this is what um, we think happened, and this is how I generally think they happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm always lucky that I've had um, that enter in and out of my life where I had people like that. So it's always... Um, that's how I also try to present uh, certain points um, and try to uh, open up certain people's awareness. Because um, I was talking with somebody um, the, uh, last week where they were like, yeah, they were talking about legacies and everything. And I was like, well, like, I don't really care about that because, like, what do you mean by a legacy? Do you mean, like, a Christ, that type of legacy? Because anything we do now is kind of gone after about 200 years yeah um so like what's the time frame on a legacy um like my thought process has been um like i said about like the consciousness thing and um wait how exactly can you expound on that the consciousness thing yeah it's more that like um like, is, is our individual consciousness a byproduct of something? Like, um, it's something that's uh, formulating our consciousness, and it needs to formulate that consciousness to survive. So um, survival is the most optimal thing, so in order to do that, there needs to be a consciousness. And that's why our consciousness is there. You mean as an individual, like we've evolved to have this individual consciousness as a as a means of survival as an individual? Yeah. So it's like where where it's like um, the bacteria and everything that live inside of us. Um, Wait, was it you? Was it you who I was talking to back on New Year's Eve? Was it where we had this conversation about how we're all a bunch of microbe? Yeah. Bi- yeah. Oh my God, I wanted to talk about that. I've been thinking about that on and off here and there. Where I'm like, that's a crazy idea, a crazy thought, which seems entirely plausible. It's just kind of gross or like, (laughs) like we're all a bunch of little microbes and germs just particled, like grouped together into this person that I am. But really, it's just like a billion little particles and organisms and bacteria just. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's like once you understand that, you say, well, yeah, the con- it makes the consciousness thing kind of plausible. Because then you start thinking in terms of like a hive mind, right? Exactly. Like, Like my individual mind is just a hive mind of all these individual microbes and whatever. Yeah, working together to right. survive. Yeah. It's a crazy idea. But when I think about it, I'm like... It's not a very pleasant idea. No, it's not. And if you tell that to people, most people can't handle it. Right. 
they can't handle uh, the thought of that being it because once again, they're holding on to that individual self so much. Right. Where, and and like, the idea of a soul and, you know, yeah. living on and there's nothing poetic about what we're talking about right now in terms of that whole microbial. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I've heard people talk like non-Christian, just basically spiritual people talk in general about in very poetic terms, like, oh, I think when we die, our essence lives on and oh, like in the things and the legacy and that we leave behind and the hearts we've touched and like, you know, the memory of love, lost loved ones. And like, you know, people just go on or like life is like a dream and we die and our consciousness die, but like the dream lives on and blah, blah, blah. Like people just say all these things. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of have in the past, I try to be a little more respectful now, but in the past I've, I've kind of just kind of rolled my eyes at that kind of thing. But what we're talking about, about we're all just a bunch of microbial conglomerations walking around like that totally flies in the face of all that poetic, you know, jazz. Yeah, jazz. it does. It's totally and unromantic. It's totally unpoetic. <laughs> yeah, and like... But um, that could be the reality. That could actually be the reality. Exactly. And like, um... And... It was, uh... Like, when I came to that, it was like, well, then, um... Because it was a, another thing that I saw where some, it was an atheist and a Christian talking, and he would say, well, then there's no meaning to life. Like, you're saying that, like, life has no meaning. And right. I was like, that's it. Like, the meaning of life is life has no meaning. Right. It's just what you're putting into life. That's the meaning. Right. And if it's, if it's like that way, then, yes, it makes all of this plausible. And it makes that all, like, the thing that we, like, this consciousness is creating religion. And it's not specific to a religion because it's just creating all these religions to help us keep going on. Right. Yeah, man. So now, so now we're into the deep shit here. So, like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's we, where I, my thoughts have been, like, um for the past year now. Yeah, I think... It's like, when you... Like, for most people, when they find out, like, there, there is... If you tell someone there's no meaning to life, on a mass scale, that becomes a mass problem. <laughs> so how do you govern that? Okay, like, well, okay, well... Socially, well, let me okay. Let me piggy, piggyback off of that and bring it on yeah. onto the issue that Brian and I were debating yesterday, which we were talking mm -hmm. about. We were talking about morality, and he yeah. and he was saying morality comes from God. And yeah, and and, I, and and apart from God, there's no true morality. I mean, I don't want to misquote him because I kind of yeah. I kind of said what he said, and then he said, "No, that's not what I'm saying." And I was like, I copied and pasted what he wrote, and I was like, "Dude, that's what you just said." <laughs> But, but I've heard it from him and from other Christians who say that this idea yeah. that there's no morality apart from God, if you take God or religion out of the equation, that, that just like a bunch of people. I'm like, what? So kind of what they're getting at is, what, are you saying, how can you say that, though? Because there are atheists and agnostic people, non-spiritual people running around every day, not murdering people, not raping yeah. and pillaging. So clearly they have some sort of morality. It depends how you define the term morality, but... Um, 
clearly they have some sense of right and wrong and decency, um, you know. And what I think that was when I started to bring up to him the idea of, you know, nuclear fallout, mm-hmm. five-year-olds growing up. The, the, there will be no more Jesus, there will be no more Muhammad or whatever, but they will form some sort of society um, and it will have some sort of rules and parameters and people in that society will agree to follow these rules and parameters and some people will break those rules and parameters and pay the price for it. So, yeah. and as society expands, you know, you'll have more outliers and psychopaths and killers and then you'll have more cops and security and, you know, that's kind of how society and will evolve. you'll have other religions that will evolve with show up and that's why i say that 100% there will be an, uh, a religion that is being created see i don't disagree with you but i i would say the religion would probably be born just because they would be at that phase of exactly. of uh, civilization exactly. where they don't have an understanding of science and why things happen and you know but uh, i'm saying that even when, if you have science there, it's still going to be created because there's still going to be stuff that we don't, don't really know. understand. And that's yeah. when the religious realm and the spiritual realm falls into place when we don't understand things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a, sh- a shame because, I mean, I struggle with it myself, but it's like human beings struggle with this idea of just sitting there and honestly saying, like, I don't know something. Yeah. You know, like even the dumbest dumb fuck people on the in the country in the world, they'll still be like, "Well, I know this. And I know that for sure, damn for damn sure," you know, and it's like they couldn't you know, they're like the least educated, they know nothing about nothing, and they're so adamant that they know some shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. because they just cannot I guess come to a place of humility where they just honestly say, I think it's partially humility, but it's also kind of bravery because it's scary to go to that place and be like, I don't know. That's a scary place to reside. And I think that's why most people don't go there. Yeah. It's scary to go to a place where you don't matter. That's it. You don't matter. Your existence Right. Doesn't matter. Well, yeah. So there's the I don't know thing, but then kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. So going back to the meaning in life, right? So mm-hmm. I think that might have been something we talked about on New Year's Eve as well, where I was like, I think at the time I was really thinking about this idea of meaninglessness and mm-hmm. how I feel like if I were to bring that up and mention it to people, people would be worried for me and think that I'm talking like I'm suicidal or something. Exactly. Like if, I, if I say life is meaningless. Um, but really, I'm like, that doesn't have to mean the end of the world or existence for me, that if there's no meaning. You know, uh-huh. I think what we're talking about, about survival mechanisms and the tricks our mind plays in consciousness and all that, it it ties in with this idea of the fact that there's no meaninglessness. That's an awful idea. And it's very uncomfortable and it's very upsetting. Therefore, our consciousness and our minds will go to a place where we ascribe meaning to it as a survival mechanism, you know? So when I say, oh, life could very well be meaningless, 
you know, like when people ask that question, people ask the fundamental questions about life and philosophy and religion, right? Like, why am I here? Why are we here? You know, or like what happens after we die? And they ask these questions like there's supposed to be some definitive correct answer about them. And they can't just accept the fact because it's such a harsh notion that there maybe there is no answer to those questions. Can you sit with that and be okay with that? And Mm -hmm. I think most people cannot sit there and be okay with, yeah, my, there's no meaning to my life. I mean, you could, you could sit there and like, you just sit like quickly sum it up and say, how can you say there's such a great profound meaning to your life when a hundred years from now, in in a trillion billions of years of existence, right? Mm-hmm. Just a teeny little drop in the billions of years, like a hundred years from now, yeah. nobody will even know your name or who you are or anything, you know. Which makes me think, oh well, that's why people have children. This is so that their people will remember and you'll have descendants and all that stuff. But let's say for all the people who don't have kids out there and don't do anything famous, they're not in a movie that's captured or make a piece of music that lives on. Like, you know, most average people. Like, but they die, the, and they'll, they're forgotten a generation from now, even. So even with the generational thing, when people even tell me, like, uh, about their descendants and stuff like that, like, before I came to the way that I'm thinking now, is, like, um, when I learned about how uh, the Black Plague is, the descendants of the Black Plague is um, how we're able to formulate things to uh, start having a cure for AIDS is like a mutated gene from the Black Plague. And it's these, uh, ba- it's these um, bacteria that's inside those people. That's what um, scientists have been using. So when you talk about like a legacy, your name is not inscribed on that. It's just the bacteria that you've gone through. Okay. So that, that means it's just a survival mechanism. So like, your legacy is just a different bacteria that's in you. So if it comes down to just that, then like... In that particular example, sure. Yeah, in that particular example. But like when you... When I... After I learned that, when I started looking at legacy, I was like, my action is is not inherently what's needed. It's just my survival to go through all of this... Um, environmental changes and then if you think about it it's like the it's the bacteria that's um it's collecting this information of like how they how these bacteria survived over the years because when a kid um is born it's born with a copy of the of the um the healing codes from your uh, bacteria so that's what's being passed down Mm -hmm. like it could care less about you being able to um, cook, draw, whatever. <laughs> it's all about survival. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it was, like, based on that, I was like, okay, so, like, if it's just about that, and it's multiple, like... That's so harsh. So... Again, like what we're saying, that's so harsh and non-poetic and unromantic. Yeah. That, <laughs> that like... Nobody wants, even atheists, a lot of atheists don't want to think like that. They want to think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to live this great life and then I die and that's it. But like, oh, but, you know, my life still has meaning in the sense of, you know, I had kids or 
uh, uh, I created a film that people will watch later and I have inspired people or I've loved the people around me and then they'll in turn love people and they're, you know, even atheists will talk like that a lot of the time, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just funny because like, it's like everybody is dodging and avoiding this harsh reality that yeah, that that's... nobody wants to accept that we're just... <laughs> You know, there's you no that you don't matter. There's no meaning to life. We're all just microbes that have evolved to to gather together onto one glob called a person, and uh, you know we're just on this rock in the middle of a universe of black holes and death and nothingness. And uh, yeah, nobody wants to accept that. <laughs> Imagine that. And that's the best way to, for, for the microbes to move forward, is to not have people accept that. Right. So yeah. then goes back to, do we have free will? Oh, man. Free, it's like free will. Like The idea of it doesn't even make sense in the context of what we're talking about right now. Yeah, and that's why now you're understanding the, the, like the way that I think and why I have those questions. So, so in a way, it's not even like how questions are phrased, but it's like what's the relevancy of the question you're asking in the first place? Exactly. Oh, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Huh. Wow. Yeah, this is good shit, man. <laughs> I wanna I'm gonna have to cause I'm like this is like a three hour recording yeah and I'm gonna like hit stop and so actually one of the devices I was recording on it ran out of disk space cause it was on oh. an external mic so one of the three mics went down like like 30 minutes in so I still have the iPad recording and I have the computer recording so I'm gonna listen to both and I'm a little worried about the computer recording because it's using my good mic, but sometimes it's like, it seems too quiet. Uh, so, cause I'm looking at the meter uh, and it's barely bouncing even when I'm talking into it. So I don't even know how much of your voice it picked up. I mean, I have the phone, you're talking on speakerphone right below the mic, but I'll have to check yeah. and see how it is. But I think the iPad recording will probably be fine because I've recorded phone calls when I'm calling customer service and whatnot. Um, and it's recorded pretty decently, but yeah. So hopefully one of these two recordings comes through pretty good. Cause I think we have some, there's some really good content in here. I'm going to, I'm going to cut it down in a sense. I feel like, do you ever listen to Joe? Feel- do you ever listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? Yeah. I feel like this was kind of like that where we talked for a really long time. It's about a lot of different things, but I like, yeah. I like his podcast cause it's just kind of like very free flowing and, um, It'll be interesting because this is kind of a first episode, you know, and, you know, I'll feel it out and kind of like how topical I want to make it or like how rigid or structured. Um, I don't know, but I like this. I I like talking because I feel like kind of the the flow of the conversation led us to that stuff at the end that I feel like was really like that's golden. Like that's really interesting stuff. So I, I'll probably edit out like some of like just our work talk and stuff, but, um, yeah, I think this is cool. As long as this this recording comes out good. Like, how do you feel? Well, um, I'm fine. Like I, I could finally like, um, 
express uh, to someone other than Vivian like my thought. Yeah. And it will be interesting to see like how people react to this too. Like, you know. Well, like just like you said, whenever I. I, I've gotten the question of meaning to life and legacy, and I'm like, yeah, I don't see life has a meaning. Um, I'm not down about it. <laughs> see, that's the uh, thing. That's the separation Yeah. that people, most people would not even understand. Even I wouldn't understand that in the past, because I would think, what do you mean no meaning to life? What? Doesn't that, that's sad. That's depressing. But I'm like, it doesn't have to necessarily be inherently tied together very tightly yeah and like i think it's fascinating that there is no meaning to life and and i think it's fascinating that um there's a possibility that the conscious the whole idea of consciousness is false it's like it's a byproduct it's something to to make us keep going forward so i i think of those things as just it's interesting to me but it doesn't mean that, like, well, what does it matter now? Like, I mean, no, it, uh, like, I enjoy the stuff I do. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, don't, with the conclusions that you and I are kind of coming to there, like, doesn't that also kind of make you feel like more of a hedonist? Like, just, you're here for a short time, you exist, you may as well just enjoy life and what you're doing here, and that's it. Yeah, because, like, part of it is just, like, enjoyment, and you, like, care about the things you care about. Like, um, you just try to, you try to just, I think it's also, like, when you try to, like, get everybody to be okay, you're just helping the bacteria move along as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Help the bacteria move along. Oh my god. I but yeah, I also feel like it does take a lot of pressure off of life because I I am a person who was raised very perfectionist. Like, you know, there's a lot of pressure, don't mess up, don't fail, don't let your GPA drop below 4.0. Like all of these kind of things. Um and you know, you got to meet somebody, you got married, got to get married, got to have kids. You got to do all these things and if you if those things aren't lining up in your life, that means you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I was raised like that, too. But then I realized that, like, when I fail, I'm actually learning when I fail. So I just can't fail to the point where I can't um, recover Recover. or learn from it. Yeah. So, like, failing to me is, like, an important process. Yeah, I've I've had this conversation with a couple people in recent months where it's like, this is a problem with Western, like, American education. Like, the education I got it taught me the completely wrong kind of fundamental lesson number one, which is, you know, you got to get an A, you can't fail a test. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, that's the exact wrong thing to teach children or people growing up because then you're never going to try something that you're going to fail at because you're so afraid of failing at something, but you're never going to learn and grow that way. Yeah, you know, and, it's so, all, and all of it is—it's—it's it's not growth anyway. It's memorization. Right. It's not critical thinking. It's not right. Yeah. So it's like um, it was. It's like a double. After I realized that, it was when like, it was like kind of like um, 
the sweater has become like the threads are being taken apart. <laughs> so like that, that's when I started like actually thinking about other things and my, I was more comfortable with my thought processes. Um, so my friends would used to just see me, see me sit by myself, just looking, staring into space and they're like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just thinking. And it's like, I couldn't formulate that at that time. I couldn't formulate, like, here's what I'm thinking about. But it's like after, it's only been like the past 12, 15 years that I'm able to formulate and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why um, I'm happy with Viv, because she's uh, heavily Christian. Oh, really? Uh, well, Still? I wouldn't say heavily, but okay. she's she's Christian. Okay. And, like, I support her with her beliefs, but I have her think about her beliefs critically, and she enjoys, she enjoys that. And... Yeah, it's fine. That's what that's a part of who she is. That's the person that I married. Yeah. And for me, she knows that there's I don't there's the only chance of me being converted to uh, Christianity is like that being comes down and say, "Hey, listen, we have to talk." <laughs> and that's not going to happen, but that's the only way this is where I stand with stuff. So I'm comfortable with her doing her thing. Um, she gets uncomfortable with me sometimes. Uh, does, but, does she wish you would believe more like how she does? Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah, she does. But she knows that's not a possibility. Yeah. Unless the Lord descended from the sky and showed up to you and was like, Damien. Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> And then I will say, oh, Zeus. <laughs> Maybe Zeus is the true guy. <laughs> so you could bring up any god you want. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's actually something I've been doing a lot lately on Instagram and in the comments on YouTube and whatnot. It's like you get into these little mini debates with people about God and religion and going to hell and blah, blah, blah. And, and I just keep replying with Santa. You know, I, I say the same thing back to them, except instead of the word God, I just use Santa or Thor. Yeah. And what are they going to say back to me? Like, what can you say back to me when I'm just throwing the same thing you just said to me in your face? Yeah. Like, and you just use a different God. Right. And I'm like, well, you can't prove your God or Jesus and any more than I can prove my Santa or not Santa. So, like, where does that get us? Nowhere. So it kind of, uh, the point is to kind of illustrate the emptiness of their words by saying, like, one thing I've noticed lately is, like, I'll post memes and, and things on Confucianity, and a lot, some of the, the, you know, the more spirited commenters, they just immediately go to hell in the afterlife. You know, like, we're talking about real tangible life issues and topics and things here now and they immediately just cut straight to like well after you die you're gonna burn in hell for eternity or you got the wrong religion islam is the right one and you know you'll find out after you're dead and i'm like what a lame argument like you can say nothing about the experience of this life 
you have to wait until after everybody's dead to have your punchline. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Well, it's the same thing about like um, because uh, Vivian early on in our relationship, um, we talked about heaven, and I, I was like, yeah, heaven sounds great for one person. For because, one person. Because each individual has a different idea of what heaven is. Right. So we're not all going to be together. It's interesting, like, in terms of books and reading. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, ask Vivian, actually. if she Does she read much Christian books? Um, she does. Uh, I don't know which she's read. Okay. Well, ask her if she's read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Because that's a really fascinating book. If you have time to read a book, it would be really interesting for you to read that book. Um, it's about heaven and hell. It, it, it's just interesting because the way they portray hell is kind of like this gray place, you know, devoid of human relationship and love and everything precious about life. And But all yeah. it is, all it is, is though, is that you can have anything you want. Like you just imagine yourself a house and you have a house. And and what ends up happening is people imagine yourself a house and then somebody imagines their house right next to yours and then you get annoyed by neighbors or whatever and then you're just like, oh, you know what, I'm going to walk further out. And uh, they mention Napoleon in, the, in, the, in hell there or whatever and he's like millions of miles away. Like he's, like he's been there long enough and he's been so aggravated by other people that he just kept going further and further away. And that's, and that's hell. And I remember back when I was a Christian, I read it, and I was like, wow, this is a really interesting idea. I never really would have thought about it that way. Because most people, if you think, like, oh, you could have anything you're, you want, like, that sounds like heaven to me, right? But the way they portrayed it, I'm like, yeah, I guess I could see how that's kind of hellish. If you were just annoyed by other people and, you know, there was no relationship and no, you know, love. Yeah, that's why I said heaven is for one person. Like, everyone has their own individual habit. So when it comes to to that, like, the the dynamic of the people that you like is like, yeah, they're going to have different views and sometimes they're going to piss you off, but, like, you, you're able to talk with them about it. And Like, how, how could there be a heaven where everybody feels so awesome and amazing at the same time? Is, is that exactly. That's, right. not, that's not happening. Right. That's like maybe like at a party, there's like this 10 minute window where everything is awesome. <laughs> everything is awesome. Yeah. And other than that, the entire time it's fluctuating. Right. So like imagine that for an eternity. After that, after a while, it's just like annoying, man. Well, I don't know about that. Like, cause like when we talk about this life, right? And I've heard a lot of people say like, the idea of living forever is like a awful idea. Like that's a nightmare. Not for me. And I, I say not for me either. Like for me, I'm like, I want to do a billion things and I only have another 30 years to squeeze in whatever I can. I mean, I'm the kind of person as a creative person, like every day I come up with new ideas and every day. And I'm like, I don't have the time to pursue these things. So for me, an eternal life and eternity where I have freedom to just kind of create and do things like I'm always going to come up with new ideas and there'll always be new experiences 
You, you know, know how many languages I would learn? Right. Like, languages, and I'd go to every country, climb every mountain, do all the things. And, like, there's so many things to do that even after, it, even after you did literally everything on the earth, and this is just talking about... It's constantly changing. Yeah, it's constantly changing. Good point. And even if I did everything on the earth, by the time it comes time to circle back and be like, oh, I guess it's time to do something I did. It's like, that's something I did, like, 40 years ago. Like, climb Mount Everest. I did it 40 years ago. But, like, it's new for me now because I haven't done it in so long. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's just the Earth. Imagine if heaven is this infinite space where, you know, it's infinite possibilities and people and infinite time. Like, to me, that sounds like a pretty awesome heaven. For me, I would I would love that. So, basically, like, yeah. this life, this Earth, but, like, in a place where I'm not sick or I'm not struggling, or I'm not achy, or I'm not aging, or basically approaching death, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm like, I'm excited about that idea for heaven. You know, but like, a lot of times back when I was in church, and they would describe heaven, honestly, I wouldn't ever say this out loud, but I'm thinking it the whole time, because they're talking about standing there and singing praises to the Lord for, you know, forever. And I'm like, dude... I don't even like every time I used to go to church and we have to stand up and sing like four hymns in a row. I'm like, I just want to sit down. (laughs) Like my feet are tired. I'm tired of singing this song. I just want to sit down. Can we get on with it? And I'm like, that's like for seven minutes. The idea of standing there singing praises to the Lord for eternity to me is like hell. Yeah. But to the Lord, he's having a ball. Right. Um, let's end it on that note. I think I gotta, I gotta include some of that in there too, but, um, cool, man. This has been great. Uh, I'm, I'll work on the edit and, uh, I'll let you know how things, how things go. I hope this has been enlightening for you. Anyway, stick around. We'll be back in a couple weeks for episode three, where I interview my sister. In case you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Confusianity Podcast on your platform of choice. Currently available on YouTube at youtube.com slash Confusianity and pretty much all the other major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. For a list of all available platforms, visit anchor.fm slash Confusianity. Until next time, my friends.